the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Coming up this hour, do you have a problem with a Bible being called the God Bless the USA Bible? And then an interesting reason a billionaire is quitting his job. You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us on this Tuesday afternoon. This came out over the weekend, and and I texted you going, I feel like we're going to talk about this next week. And so now is that time. Zondervan, who is one of, if not the biggest publishers of Bibles, yes, uh, they have agreed to license a new Bible called the God Bless the USA Bible. Here's what this Bible includes. It includes, Amer- well, besides including the Bible, it includes America's founding documents, and it will ship to customers this September to mark the September 11th, the 20-year anniversary. Wow. Also, so it's got the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, and the Pledge of Allegiance. It also includes licensed lyrics of the popular Lee Greenwood song, God Bless the USA. God bless the USA. Oh, I was hoping that would happen right there. Just in case, just in case, listeners, you need that. There it is. Uh, anyway, and so the, the article goes on to talk about why they're doing this and this, that Aubrey to say this lit Christian Twitter and Facebook up would be an understatement. I'm sure everyone went crazy over this, right? And, uh, and so let me just throw this softball in your lap here and go, Aubrey, uh, when you saw this, uh, what were some of your thoughts? Why, oh. what, you know, what maybe were there any part of this where you're like, cool, any part of you that was like, this is heretical? Where were you in that spectrum? <laughs> I sure was hoping you were going to say your opinion first, Brian. I have no opinion. <laughs> <on it. laughs> um, okay. I want to say under the umbrella of I love America. I love being an American. I want God to bless the USA. And I, I actually love that Lee Greenwood song. It I do too. Like, a, like an anthem, <laughs> right? I've been in a lot of fireworks shows over my life where that song has been played. Um, okay, here's what I don't like. What we've talked about a lot on this show is what seems to be an increasing blend of our faith and our nationalism. Mm-hmm. And my fear is that this just sort of emphasizes that, hammers that, you know, deeper into the coffin. When our faith is, <laughs> we don't practice an American faith. We practice a global faith that was rooted and founded in the ancient Near East. We worship a Middle Eastern savior. And my fear is that this just kind of puts on those myopic glasses that says, you know, America is greater than every other nation and America is the holy land. America is the promised land, those kinds of things. And I think that's where we get really twisted because our devotion ends up being to the United States and to these ideas we have about our founding fathers, et cetera, and not worship of Jesus Christ. That's right. And so I, again, I want to honor it. Like 9-11 was horrifying. And I do think 20 years later, we need to honor it. I don't think this is the right way to do it. 
Okay. You hate America. What? That's what we'll do. <laughs> Ryan, what do you uh, think? So it's funny that we both feel the same reason need to caveat this just because anytime you say anything that, that people can uh, be like, well, you hate America. Like you want to be like, no, no, I love our country. Like yeah. I, I am the one to, uh, we put out a flag on the 4th of July. Yeah. I want yes. the best seats at the parade in town, yes. you know, and, uh, and love the, uh, you know, all of that Americana. I don't want to live anywhere else in the world. On top of that, this is a terrible idea. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it, yeah. it is. And here's why I think you did a good job of explaining that. But I also think it's this to put the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, the Pledge of Allegiance under the same cover as the Bible sends a message, whether on purpose or not, that these things are also infallible texts. That these things mm, that's, that's are also yeah. that that they're also rise to the level of scripture, and that might not be the intention, but it's hard to see how that's not the result. Yeah, and we have to have uh, we have to be a country. In fact, what makes us such a great country is that we can argue and that we can debate and that we can say, you know what. Uh, Here's what I think our country does well. Here's what it doesn't do well without thinking that we are turning our back on God or our faith. Like our faith is different. And I think you said a, a wonderful thing. Uh, we can't conflate like the promised land with America. And when we right. do, that gets really, really dangerous. And I would add to this that the the combining of Americana, if you will, with our faith has been used in some really dangerous ways politically, not just recently, but right. going back to the beginning of our nation. Uh, that That's is what I was thinking. I mean, it, you know, it almost I mean, the the hard part is and I know this is a jump, but it's actually not a jump like America being founded on the backs of enslaved people, we use the Bible to justify that. And so I, this, that's where it's like, Ooh, this gets really, really tricky when our, our nationalism becomes idolatry. Our patriotism becomes nationalism becomes idolatry. And then we are like justifying things in God's name for our country that are just not okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, I, I, I suspect that if you have a problem with what we're saying, just, just enter other country and their political system into this conversation, right? Like, there you go. Uh, you know, country X that is communist puts the, you know, their stuff into the Bible. I think right. we would all have a terrible yeah. uh, time with that. We would all be really upset about this. I think here's what we want to, here's what I, I don't want to speak for you. Here's what I want to encourage all of you out there love America. Like, go for it. Uh, hang the flag. Go to yes, the parade. Absolutely. Debate about what would make America better, what makes it great now. Yes. Debate that. Don't combine it with your Bible. Don't combine it with your faith. Those are two different things that when we get them conflated and we hook them together, puts us in a really dangerous spot. I would say this uh, as an update to this. There is now a widely signed petition circulating asking Zondervan and Harper Collins to, quote, stop the presses wow. on the God bless the USA Bible. So this is not a uh, this is not a conversation or a story that's done yet. We're going to see some, I think, ebbs and flows of this. But I do think you and I agree very much on this. Absolutely. Uh, love your country, but this is a bad idea. Yeah. Yeah. Well, coming up next, uh, a really fascinating story about the CEO of TikTok uh, resigning and why it is he made that decision. We're going to talk about that next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. 
Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. Are you on TikTok or a, and or a fan of TikTok? I'm not on TikTok. I, you know, every once in a while, someone will send me some of the TikTok videos that are funny. And um, especially like moms make really funny videos about how worn out they are. And so, <laughs> you know, I'll laugh at those certainly, but I'm not on TikTok. And not really as like a stance, like I won't be on TikTok. I just feel like I don't have time. Like I have enough social media in my life. I don't need to add another one. That's true. So I, I just honestly haven't done it because I don't want any more like time suckage from social media. <laughs> It seems like uh, book sales is going to be driven by TikTok. Uh, I know. So I will say that is in my mind is like, I'm going to have to get on TikTok if I want to get my (laughs) book out there. But I almost want to like hire someone else to do it for me. Oh, that's so funny. I want to. (laughs) So the other day, this uh, over the weekend, we were at my daughter's softball game and I kind of nudged my wife and I was like, look over there. The thing I will never get is like. Uh, so we're in a crowded place, right? Like we're, we're, they're fans at this game. You know, there's parents at this game. Uh-huh. All of a sudden we look over and there are three, uh, like middle school girls, like sixth grade girls. <laughs> one of whom, one of whom is on the team in uniform. They are off to the side and they have perched their phone up on the bench <laughs> and are doing one of those TikTok dances. And right. I, I don't, this is where I'm like the old man, like yelling at the clouds. <laughs> I do not understand like the lack of self-awareness or the lack of care that's like, all these people around you are watching you look ridiculous right now, do these TikTok dances. And then they immediately grab the phone and you could tell they're posting. It's, yep. the, it's like the moment where I feel the oldest because I'm like, I can't imagine a realm when I was that age where anybody would have done that. And like had the confidence to do it. Like as a middle schooler, like I felt so insecure. Like I don't think I would have felt like I can put a dance of myself online. Sure. That seems like a good idea. It was- the, the, a crazy part and then we'll get back to the story. But my... I, I, my sister got married a few weeks ago, as some of you know, and she had dancing. And my young niece, who's probably 11 years old, knew all of these dances to <laughs> all of the songs. And yes. she was teaching the adults dances. And finally, I was like, How do you? I don't know how you know all these moves. And she was like, TikTok. What do you TikTok, mean? Like, yeah. like, obviously, it was TikTok. And that blew my mind, too. That's the thing. There's like in popular TikTok. We sound so, we've never sounded older. <laughs> there are like popular TikTok songs. I asked one of my kids one day, like, how do you know this song? And they're like, oh, it's a it's a popular it's a TikTok. TikTok song. It's culture making. I mean, let's be honest. TikTok is. is culture making. It is. It probably will not be our culture making. But, no, but the next gen <laughs> for sure. Uh, but here's why we're at. We're talking about this. The TikTok CEO named Zhang Yiming. Did I get that right? I, I think I got it right. Jang Yiming. Yiming. There we go. Jang Yiming uh, announced that he is resigning with a $44 billion fortune. And here's what the headline says. So he could, quote, read more and daydream. And wow. We saw this, <laughs> that sounds awesome. We're like, this is amazing. So so he is the founder of a company called ByteDance. So B-Y-T-E, ByteDance. ByteDance is then the parent company of TikTok. Uh, and tick through TikTok, he has gotten a net worth of $44 billion, which currently makes him the 30th richest person in the world. Here's wow. a question. Totally aside, if you had $44 billion and you were the 30th richest person in the world, would you be like driven to become the 29th or the 28th? Or do you go, you know what? I'm good. With no, I'm definitely satisfied. I'm like, I'm good. I don't need to have any more drive in life. Like my drive is out the window. I'm going to do whatever I want now. No. Yeah. <laughs> what about you? Would you be driven to? 
I don't think so. I think I'd be good, but you do know we're all just competitive enough to be like, what would it take to get to the top 20? Oh, how could I get to the top 10? <laughs> what would it take to get there? I mean, I guess if you've gotten that far, you are an achiever. So Probably. maybe you have that in you. Probably. So amazingly, since March of 2019, uh, his uh, net worth has gone from $2 billion. Uh, no, it has gone from $16 billion to 44 So it's risen by $28 billion. Whoa. Well, he announced this week that he's stepping down as CEO of ByteDance to, quote, have more time to read books and daydream. I want you to hear the, uh, what he wrote to his employees, because I think it's really interesting. Some of the reasons that he's stepping down. He's young. He's like 38 years old. Wow. Uh, and he is stepping down. And he said this. The truth is I lack some of the skills that make an ideal manager. Similarly, I'm not very social, preferring solitary activities like being online, reading, listening to music, and daydreaming about what may be possible. He goes on to say, often when companies mature and expand, many fall into the trap of the CEO becoming overly central, uh, listening to presentations, handling approvals, and making decisions reactively. This leads to an over-reliance on existing ideas already in the company. So mm-hmm. I found that to be fascinating because the headline is, I like to read and daydream more. And everyone's like, what? You can make all this money, whatever. What right. he's actually saying is, we've reached the point yeah. where we need a new voice. We've reached a point where we need a kind of new direction uh-huh. and not to be overly... Um, centralized on the creator who is him you and i've both started churches i feel this all the time (laughs) (laughs) that's what i was thinking there's so much church overlap with this right there is so speak to this because a it's impressive that he's kind of come to this idea folks i don't think he's going to be hurting i'm sure he's He's uh he's i'm sure he's retiring or stepping away with a lot of stock options and he's going to continue making money so this isn't about like oh now he's going to go live the life of a normal man But it is interesting. He founded this company, but he's kind of come to the point, even while it's wildly successful, of going, I think it needs a new voice. I'm going to step aside. That's really a kind of fascinating leadership, wouldn't you say? I, yeah, I think it's really interesting. And I do, I do wonder if twofold, like, does he see within himself, I need to step back in order to daydream because maybe there is something else for me to create, but I can't be creative while I'm, you know, running the company and doing these meetings yeah. and overseeing, you know, cause there is some, there is some truth to that when you're like, running, 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 striving, 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 hustling, 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 you can't necessarily be creative. So I think it will benefit him in the end if like there's another, maybe there's some other dream that he brings to fruition. But then I think the other beautiful thing, and I'm curious about how much of this is cultural, um, but him sort of seeing like, actually, it's better for the company now for us not to get into a rut if I step back and allow someone else to take right. over. And I do think it's a good question for pastors, right? Because I think so. we, you know, especially if you're a church planter, like we are, Brian, like you planted a church, Kevin and I have planted a church. It can feel like your baby. And right. so you may not want to leave, but you can't sort of wonder like, is this, have I done what I'm meant to do here? And now someone else is meant to take over. There's literally a, uh, a thing for that in church planting called founder syndrome. Really? Uh, yes. Look it up where it's, it'll terrify you a little bit because it basically the premise is there comes a point where not all the time. You think of a Rick Warren, right, who started Saddleback, but it's that one has constantly almost replanted itself over the years. There's other churches where people have stayed. 
But I think the norm more is this founder syndrome where there comes a point if a church or an organization is going to grow, it needs that next person. Right, it needs right. it takes a it takes a certain kind of gifting to say, I'm gonna start something. And that gifting and that that just how you look at life is usually different from the I'm going to maintain or grow something. That's true. It's uh, sort of like the apostle who starts it is maybe different than the shepherd or the overseer right, who like right. keeps running it, right? That's right. This might mess with you and Kevin a little bit, but Google founder syndrome and give it a little bit of a read. Okay. Uh, because that's kind of the point of it. And a lot, you know, a lot of uh like church planting resources and books or conferences, they will tell you if you're the first person, you probably won't be there. You mm. won't be the one who's there for the long bit. Yeah, for the long yeah. Haul. interesting. Very and there's, interesting. There's some health in that, reasons. probably, right? Like some I think so. In that. Yeah. But it's hard to embrace, right? And when do you embrace it? And right. how do you know? So it right. becomes very difficult. If we keep this conversation, Aubrey's going to quit her job here. I'm going to talk to her. <laughs> so we're going we're to move on. <laughs> A fascinating story there about the CEO of TikTok that I think really does shed some light on some important leadership principles. So you can find that article up on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Common Good Talk. Coming up next, uh, a difficult conversation, but that we all face as Christ followers at some point. Some of you might be facing it right now. It's the idea of apathy. How do we know when we're apathetic? And more importantly, how do we break out of it? Hmm. We're going to talk apathy next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Happy Tuesday. Glad that you're with us today. Hope that you're having a good Tuesday afternoon. All right, Aubrey, people know we're both pastors. I'm at Four Corners Community Church in Darien. You're at Renewal Church in West Chicago. Yep. And uh, and so we give a lot of thought and a lot of time to preaching and kind of meeting with people. Uh, and as you do that, but we also know this from our own lives, there is this idea of apathy, okay? There's this idea of, well, here, this gospel, our Desiring God article where I kind of was thinking about this, they ask this question at the very beginning, when did your heart begin to cool towards Jesus? Hmm. And it's this idea, uh, I'll put it this way, I don't think that for the vast majority of us, including people in our churches, that the danger is actually going to be heresy, that the danger is actually walking away from your apostasy, right? Like, I don't think the danger yeah. Yeah. is apostasy. I think the actual danger is apathy. Right, like a slow drift away. Yeah, yeah, where we just kind of go, no, I still believe, uh, but, you know, I used to be, uh, to use a very Christian term, I used to be very on fire. Mm -hmm. But now it's just, as this article said, I've just kind of, cooled off yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And Jesus has very harsh things to say in the book of Revelation about the lukewarm, right? right? The harsh reality of those who are lukewarm. He talks about spitting you out or that yeah. I'd rather you be cold. Um, but what do you think it is about our church culture and our culture as a whole that makes apathy such a, uh, not just a danger, but makes it such a, uh, an easy thing to fall into? You know, I, I feel like in my own life, when I have been apathetic, I sometimes it's because I um I feel like I've been in the Christian world for a long time mm -hmm. and I can tend to like forget what a incredible salvation I have in Jesus. You know, a salvation yes. that I don't deserve. The fact that like the God of the world was willing to die for me and save me. And I just forget it. Like I feel like, you know, I've been a Christian 
since I was 11 years old, 12 years old, middle school. And I just forget. And then I think when you're around Christian culture, you're around church culture, sometimes you can confuse Jesus with some of the things that make you frustrated. And then you can sort of just like to distance yourself emotionally. You kind of grow apathetic. I, you know, I, I feel like in my own life, when this happens, I have to go, Lord, I, can you come find me? Cause I am finding myself a little bit lost right now. Like mm. I, please come get me again because I feel apathetic towards you. And I, yeah. I think it's just enough to say to the Lord, like, oops, oh God, my heart has cooled or I'm not, ah, I'm not in it right now. Can you come find me and bring me back to you? How do you know when you've reached those moments? You just feel it or what, from, what? Yeah. I mean, I, that's probably not really like helpful, but it just, I am just thinking of my own personal experience. I feel it. I feel like I'm not on fire. I feel sort of like a, okay, I know I should spend time with Jesus because it's good. Um, I maybe start shaming myself a lot, like not living in freedom, but living in shame. I start just distancing myself emotionally from God and from the things I care about. And that's when I'm like, oh, okay, something's not good right now in my soul. Yeah. Lord, show me, find me, help me, save me again. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. No, I, I, think it's one of, well, I think it's one of those things that you know when you know. <laughs> like yeah, you, right, there, right. There's not this am I apathetic test, but there is just a, you know what? I used to just, you know, there, there was a time in my life where I craved to read the Bible. Like I thought to myself when I woke up, okay, I'm excited. And then there's other times in my life where I'm like, Oh, I should really read my Bible right yeah, now. Yeah. But there's like 11 other things I'd like to do more. Right. Uh, and, and I think what makes it especially dangerous and and um, it makes it happen so much more in our culture is, am I allowed to say this, Aubrey? This might come across as heretical. When you've been a Christian for a long time, sometimes you lose sight of the fact that being a Christian makes any difference in your life whatsoever. No, uh, I mean, yes. I mean, sometimes, I think that's what I meant. As soon as you just forget what a miracle it is that you're saved. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I think we live in a world, in a culture with so much comfort and so many things yeah. that could kind of numb any need that, that you could sit back if you were honest and go, if I weren't a Christian, how would my life be any different yeah. on a day-to-day basis? Yeah. And, and I think if you're living, you know, in certain ways, you can answer that question, not much I could do, but but then- when you get kind of woken up from that, you go, no, no, actually, everything would be different. Yeah, <laughs> it would yeah. All the whole be trajectory different. of my life would be different. Yeah. Yes, but but in that day today, I think of the story of the, the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, mm. which we always focus, rightfully so, on the actual prodigal son, the one who runs away. Right. And, you know, we all know those dramatic stories from our churches, you know, of the person who was far from Christ. Yeah. and. Uh, and God kind of pursued and God welcomed back. And there's this great story, a great party throne. I think the picture of so many of us is that older son right, who's going, right. hey, I never left. Where was my party? Right. And there's this there's this coldness to the older son. And I've, I'll never forget the first time I heard a sermon preached on the older son of the prodigal son story yeah. where the pastor said, hey, I do want to warn you. That at the end of the story, the only one not in the party is the older son. Right, right. <laughs> which go, is, is a word to all of us, right? <laughs> and you just go, oh, my goodness. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm that that terrifies me, right? This whole lukewarmness, I will spit you out. So, Aubrey, the person sitting, I always like to talk about the person sitting in their car, right? Yeah, the person is sitting right. in their car right now, and they're going, 
Yeah, I'm apathetic. Mm -hmm. This has been a year, you know, I haven't been to church much. I've just kind of been just trying to survive or, you know, I, my faith is my faith. I still believe in Jesus. But as you guys describe apathy and lukewarmness, that's pretty much me. What, what's our, our, our word? Uh, what's our word to them? What's the first step for them to what's, kind of change that trajectory? Yeah. What's kind of the, the counter action or what have you? Um, my, the three thoughts that came to mind almost immediately are one, like we have talked about, just tell God, God, I mm-hmm. am feeling apathetic right now. I don't want to be this lukewarm person, but I am. I don't know how to get myself out of it. Can you, by your Holy Spirit, come find me again and ignite my fire for you? Restore to me the joy of my salvation, as David says. I think, too, we do need to remember that our faith is a practice. Like We, we mm. have chosen to follow a way of Jesus. And so sometimes, even though it feels like I should, I only want to read my Bible when I'm really passionate about it. No, like sometimes it's sort of like fake it till you make it. Read your Bible as a daily discipline, pray as a daily discipline, worship as a daily discipline, serve others as a daily discipline, because those are the things that Jesus called us to do. Surrender to his will as a daily discipline, even when you don't feel like it, because it doesn't ultimately matter how you feel. Like the feelings will follow. Mm. The point is obedience to our Lord and Savior. And your heart will follow as you continue to practice our faith day in and day out. I think another one, be in Christian community. And that's a big one we talk about here on The Common Good a lot. Tell your friends, I need some support right now. I need some prayer. I need you to remind me. Like we can borrow each other's faith during these times when it feels like we're apathetic. Mm. And then thirdly, I would say, you know, just thinking of the story of the Good Samaritan, thinking about what Jesus called us to do, like love your neighbor, get out of yourself, go serve the poor, go serve the hurting, go serve the homeless, serve somewhere so that you're out of your comfort and remembering like you're loving people the way Jesus called you to mm, do. So those are just good. some handholds that came to mind. What, what do you think, yeah, Brian, as a awesome. pastor? That's awesome. I think I would remind people that I, I referenced the story there of the uh, prodigal son and the older son being outside, but the dad really wants the son inside. Mm. The dad doesn't say, fine, be that way, yeah, whatever. I don't right. care about you. Uh, I'm only about the dramatic younger son redemption here. No, he begs his older son, come in. Come to the party. Yes, yeah, come yeah. in. And yeah. and I think, it, uh, you know, even the title of the Desire and God article I referenced earlier is called Let the Lukewarm Come to Me. Mm-hmm. Like it's still this invitation. I love what you said there about in some ways that we don't say this flippantly, like fake it till you make it. Like read your Bible, be in prayer. God is still present and active and go live the ways of Jesus. As you said, go serve others. I think those are a great word, but I also think we just need to own the fact I'm apathetic right now. Like yeah, I'm feeling yeah. lukewarm. What is in Mark nine? That guy says, Lord, I believe help my unbelief. Like yes, Lord, that's the prayer, that's right? Good. Lord, I'm apathetic. Help my apathy, not be apathetic anymore. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And along some of those same lines, I want to uh, next, when we come back, I want to talk about this question. Why do we even go to church. Hmm. Uh, I want to talk about an article from the Gospel Coalition that tries to answer that. As we start coming out of the pandemic, we can start asking, are we even going to go back to church? Why would I even go back to church? We're going to have that conversation next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, hope for your life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today. We talked about 
uh, apathy. Mm-hmm. And now I want to I want to spin that forward towards kind of the people out there right now, because we know that there are a lot of people in this boat right now asking, am I even going to go back to church? Right. Uh, so we're coming out of this pandemic. A lot of churches are starting to be much more normal in their in their meetings. Uh, and the question is, uh, here's what I think is going on. I told you this the other day. I think for a lot of people, uh, the question is not going to be, am I going to go to another church? Am I going to go to a different church? I think that's for some people, they're going to come back and they're going to go, hey, I would like a fresh start. I'm going to go try right, the right. church up the road or right. whatever else. Uh, but I do think that there is a large segment of people for whom the question is actually this. Am I going to go back to church at all? Hmm. Uh my thought process behind that is I think people have now gone 15 months. Some people, some people can't wait to get back. To right. Church. Absolutely. So I'm yeah. talking about a segment of the population. Yeah. Uh, for some people, they've said, you know what? For 15 months, I've watched a little bit online. I've done a little bit. But for the most part, I haven't been engaging in church, at least in person on Sunday morning. Uh, and my life's OK. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. And- <laughs> right. I didn't, I'm not really missing much. Yeah, I'm not going to hell. I'm not like my life is not falling apart. Uh, maybe I kind of miss the people, but I, you know, I see them on Facebook. I can listen to the preachers online or whatever else it might be. Yeah. And so the question that some people I think are probably asking, and I want us to try to answer for them. And they, uh, there's also this gospel coalition article where they literally ask this question. Why do we go to church? Like, why, why do, do we, we go, go at all? <laughs> why? And so, Aubrey, I guess I would start with you. You're a pastor. Yeah. Uh, but you also have a family. You have a very busy yeah. life. Yeah. And uh, you have owned the fact of, uh, while you guys have been online longer than most people, that you've kind of enjoyed your Sunday mornings. It's been really, really. I mean, we've been in ministry for like 20 years. So this is the first time we've had Sundays as a family in 20 years. I hear know? that. Oh, so let's okay. Let's not even. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put it right on you here. Okay. So All let's right, not let's put go. it on random person out there asking the question. Okay. Let's, let's pretend Aubrey that Samson. Yep. Let's pretend the Sampsons weren't in ministry. Okay. So Kevin, uh, Kevin, and is a plumber, and you're a teacher. Yeah. Right. And you've got your you've got your kids. You've got your same age kids. Yeah. You've had this experience. Yeah. What would the conversations do you think be like for you guys as churches are reopening and things are getting back to normal? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's so hard to put myself in those shoes because it's hard not to think about church from a pastoral perspective. Right. But I, I think the question is, you know, what is church? Like we know church is more than just a Sunday morning gathering. We know that it's the people of God gathering to worship and uh, break bread, do the sacraments, study the word together. That doesn't have to happen on Sunday morning. So I do think, okay, for some folks that are like, yeah, I'm doing that with my small group or whatever. Why do I have to go on Sunday morning? I still think that the Sunday morning gathering where we're worshiping together Mm -hmm. is really, really crucial for our faith because it's something that this article even talks about is we just need the regular reminders of who God is and who we are, right? right? And so I'm, you know, I'm a teacher, Kevin's a plumber, our kids are the same age. We may, it may be hard for us to go back to church after having a year off, but I think ultimately we would go, wait, we need this buildup of our faith to keep living our Christian lives or else we're going to like not 
be okay, you know? So I, I, I mean, and I think it's okay to admit that we are like frail human beings and we so easily forget. And so part of the weekly rhythm of gathering together, worshiping together, breaking bread together is just this reminder of like, wait, we're Christians. We belong to Jesus. Let's keep going. God is good. And then we need that again on Sunday. Yes, this article, first of all, it references Barna research that kind of backs up what we're talking about. According to Barna, approximately one in three Christians have stopped attending church altogether, whether in person or online during the pandemic. An additional third have admitted to streaming a different church service online other than their own. Wow. Digitally church hopping, basically reflecting a certain consumeristic mindset endemic to much of evangelical church. So the article tries to set up the fact that we have kind of a weak connection Mm. to the gathered worship and to Mm. kind of the the church as a whole. And and I think that you bring up some good stuff and they, they say it succinctly in this, in this article. Why do we go to church? They answer their question this way. We go to church because we are forgetful, Hmm. because we don't remember. And you said it very well there. We worship, we break bread, we we gather together, we, we praise the name of Jesus, we sit under the teaching of the word. Then we go through our Monday through Saturday, life happens, it's hard, you know, you're gathering maybe in small group or whatever else, but, but the point of then gathering again on Sunday is to, is to be reminded and to be uh, recharged and to be sent out again. And it's kind of this rhythm of, all right, I I get filled up, I get reminded, then I go, and then I get, you know, I come back. And uh, I do worry, uh, almost linking the two conversations we had, like the one we just had about apathy, I think removal from the local church and regular gathering to worship will lead over time to apathy. Like they're going to go hand in hand uh, because we're forgetful people. And over and over, I love that it talks about this in this article, especially in the Old Testament. It just keeps saying, God says over and over again, do not forget. Right. Do remember, forget. remember, remember, remember. It's like hundreds of times throughout scripture, God says that to his people. And here's the thing. God would not say that if we were not forgetful right, people. Right, right. Uh, we get, we become forgetful. Do you think that's a good enough reason to attend church just to uh, to go, hey, I'm a forgetful person and therefore I need to be reminded. Yes, I think that's a good enough reason. I think even sometimes we can overthink like, why do we go to church? And then that can be an excuse not to go. Whatever reason you go, just go, just get you to church. You know, I I think part of the other, the other side of this conversation is a conversation about consumer culture and and individualism, Mm. which of course we've brought up on the common good a lot. But like, if we have the choice to just choose between different church services digitally. And then we're no longer uh, entering into Christian community with people right around us. We have seen how that does not go well. Like that promotes individualism, that promotes consumerism, and that doesn't allow for community, for accountability, for service together, for even sharing the gospel with non-Christian neighbors. Like there is more to church than just watching a good sermon online. That's right. That's right. That's right. The article here written by Peter Newman. I just want to end by uh, reading how it ends. Graduate of Wheaton College, by the way. Oh, there you hey, go. Hey, look at hey, that. One our of our alma people. Mater. Yeah. <laughs> For yeah. Christ in his He's kingdom. He's our person. 
He's our person. Here we go. He says this. In a world like this, increasingly artificial, distracting, and in a way, unreal, if we don't carve out at least one day a week to be powerfully reminded of our place in the Christian story, then our already fragile, fickle, and forgetful hearts will invariably stray from this story. In a world so often distorted by online life, we need to we need the clarifying force of God's word, read, preached, prayed, sung, and tasted. To stay in and live out God's story, we need to remember it. And to remember it, we need to go to church. I think that that sums article. it up yeah. really well there by Peter Newman at the Gospel Coalition. Uh, apathy and also, are we going to go back to church? They're kind of linked together. And I think that's a big question for us as we start coming out of this pandemic. Well, coming up next, uh, one year later, one year ago, uh, the death of George Floyd happened. How much has changed in our culture and how much has not? We're going to talk about that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Coming up this hour, in light of the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's death, we're going to be talking about how much have we changed as a nation and what has stayed the same. And then, how can we be praying for our pastors? You're listening to The Common Good. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you with us today on this Tuesday afternoon. A lot of times on this show, we'll try to hone in on, um, you know, like last like last hour, just like where are we at as Christians right now? Mm-hmm. What are we doing as a church coming out of the pandemic? But sometimes we try to hit where's the news at right now? And, and then what does it mean for the church? How do we each reflect upon that? And with that in mind, uh, I believe it's today is the one year anniversary of the death of George Floyd. Yes, today and- is the anniversary. Can I hear you you a little inside baseball? Ian and I were doing the shows from our homes at that point. Okay. Um, and I'll never forget having uh, the TV on while we were recording and seeing that this was happening, but not registering that it was a big deal. Oh, and then wow. that night, Ian's like, uh, we have to talk about this. I was like, really? And then it was just like, I hadn't actually seen the story because it was wow. on a mute behind me. Wow. And, and then like two weeks later, right? Everything, that's all that was happening. And so uh, that's just a random memory. But but you, we've got this question. In light of the death of George Floyd over the past year, so much has happened this year uh, with um, – just a pandemic, but then mm-hmm. all of the kind of uh, social unrest that in the protests and this and that that came out of the death of George Floyd, uh, the murder of George Floyd. And then uh, you had the trial that happened and kind of the unprecedented uh, conviction of right. the police officer right. that not that police officers before had not been convicted, but this one was like, he got everything he could get. Yes. And it was kind of unprecedented and other things obviously have happened. And so we wanted to ask this question, how much has changed? What has changed about us culturally? Uh, and what has kind of stayed the same? I want to look at this from the angle of the church, but also in culture. And before we weigh in, I want you to hear uh, from Dr. Wisdom Powell, the director of the University of Connecticut uh, Health Disparities Institute. This is from a news clip uh, just the other day. Listen to what Dr. Powell had to say. We're all still remembering what happened on that fateful day. 
And certainly at moments like this, the possibility for anniversary reactions are quite pronounced. Anniversary reactions are natural, normative responses to the memory of something really meaningful. And certainly the events of that day have stuck in our memories, in our hearts, in our spirits. So it's not surprising to me, it wouldn't be, if many of us were feeling a little grief-stricken today because that historical alarm has been re-rung today on this fateful day. But it's also a moment where we can all recommit ourselves to the promises that we made last year in the wake of this tragic event. Many of us decided that we were going to fight for social injustice, that we were going to act in better allyship and we were going to make it really um, a committed you know uh, purpose here to to move the needle forward on these kinds of issues and I think if we stick to those guns then we'll make it through this day with a newfound a new committed sense to restoring justice and and reducing inequality all right Aubrey how would you answer the question how have we changed uh, and maybe how have we not changed yeah I mean I think some of the the powerful ways we've changed is I do think the um, the plight of the black community and the plight of um, racism against any minority com- uh, community has risen up into more of the uh, regular conversation, at least for white people. And I do think that we are sort of beginning to wake up. And I know not everyone likes that phrase, but we are beginning to become aware of some things that maybe we've been allowed to live in denial about the fact that like so many of our brothers and sisters have been dealing with racism their entire lives in ways that have just really crushed their spirits and, um, crush their communities. And I I think we, the good thing is I do think better conversations are happening. Better voices are being raised up. More minority voices are being raised up. There's a willingness in our church community to learn. There's a willingness in the white community to learn. And I feel grateful that that conversation is more at the forefront than it used to be. That said, the opposite thing I think is happening. This is where maybe we haven't changed or we've changed for the worse, where there seems to be almost a greater pushback to say racism isn't real or we don't want to talk. If we keep talking about it, it's not going to get better. And I, I, I think that has always happened, but that also seems to be coming to the forefront. And um, I, I guess the call, I mean, I, well, before we move into the call, I'd like to hear what you think has changed and hasn't changed. Yeah, I think the change part is I think there's just more honest conversations going on kind of across the spectrum in most cases. Um, and, and so that's a positive. You know, you saw even in uh, the protests in the summer, it wasn't, you know, just African-Americans protesting, right? Like there yeah. was kind of this, a greater unity, hopefully, uh, that went on a greater uh, discussion and, and people trying to move the conversation forward. Now, with that said, what hasn't changed? Like you said, uh, I mean, we're seeing um, troubling things culturally around uh, violence, around anti-Jewish violence oh, right now, yeah, anti-Semitism in America yes. right now. Uh, you and I have spent multiple uh, times talking about anti-Asian hate crimes going on culturally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so there still seems to be, uh, you know, uh, whether it be racial or cultural uh, violence and, and stuff going on that's disturbing. On top of that, um, 
you know, I, I don't think we would say that we're any less of a divided culture. I think we'd probably we're more, say it feels more divided. It certainly. feels more divided. People, you know, I think of our conversation yesterday with Chris Bale about social media. It feels like more echo chambery. People kind of tribe, you know, running to your tribes. And a lot of that now it's, you know, what do you believe about police? What do you yeah. believe about violence? What yeah. do you believe about racism? And uh, we talked yesterday about the just even the term woke and what that can mean. And so mm-hmm. I do think we're still grappling culturally about like, what do we do with all of this? And I do think in some ways, even though it has probably um, highlighted some things, I'm not sure it has solved many things over the past year. And so uh, the question is then, what does the church do and how do you continue moving this ball forward? Because I'm not sure where I, I Sounds simplistic to say where this all ends because it probably doesn't end, right? Uh, but right. how this conversation continues to progress, and so I, I would say it's a mixed bag. I think uh, depending on who you talk to and uh, the conversations you're a part of, I think there have been some very positive steps over the last year and some very troubling things over the last year. Definitely, that's true. It's interesting. There's a, a NPR did an article about empathy and how this could be a moment for us to get better at showing empathy. And they actually quote scripture. They say there's the golden rule, love your neighbor as you love yourself. But then they say, but the silver rule, the silver rule is don't do unto others, which you don't want done to you. And I, and I feel like that's a, that's a good, both of those are really good, right? Love your neighbor because we are called to, but treat your neighbor the way you want to be treated. I mean, that's, that's biblical right there. Yes. And I, you know, I, I think you're right that it's harder, that things are more divided. But if somehow by the Holy Spirit's power, the power of God, we could just get that, man, wouldn't the world be a better place? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and our prayer is that the church will be less divided and then culture is, uh, and that's going to play out. And so again, a major, in some ways you're like, oh, wow, was that only a year ago? And in other ways you're like, Oh my gosh, that was only a year ago. Like right. it, it, one of those, but it's a major cultural marking point, right? Yes. When we look back, when our kids look back on their, uh, on their time, we all have those moments of kind of, Hey, remember I was this old when this happened. And I do think because of what came out of it, the death of George Floyd one year ago today, uh, will be one of those moments for us culturally. Well, Coming up next, a pastor and author by the name of Ike Miller, he tweeted uh, something this morning, a very specific prayer for pastors, but I actually think it's a prayer that's good for all of us. We're going to talk about that prayer that we saw on Twitter coming up next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today on a beautiful Tuesday afternoon here in the Chicagoland area. Hopefully you're heading home from work. And now it stays, you know what I always love, Aubrey? I love that it stays brighter outside. These are the simple things of life. Oh, I know. It's life. so nice because when it gets dark in the winter so early, it's so depressing. But yes, that is... It is good. We've now officially hit the, uh, I like to refer to this time of year as in the, I can go sit on my comfortable chair on the deck with a glass of iced tea. Oh, these are good days. And soon it'll get too hot to do that. But right now it's all good. Oh, I just love that. I love that time of year. I I did it this morning. And so. Oh, wonderful. uh, Yeah. So it it is a pleasant time of year. Hopefully you're enjoying your day and uh, you've got a great week ahead of you. Okay. Ike Miller, he is a pastor of a church called Bright City Church. 
Church, I think in the Raleigh-Durham area. Author, he's also the husband of Sharon Hod Miller, uh, who is people might recognize as a kind of a prominent author also and blogger. Uh, he wrote, and, and I, I, I was telling you, I saw that you had liked this on Twitter. And my first thought was, oh, I wonder if Aubrey's going to want to talk about this. On, <laughs> and on I show. did. <laughs> and I think it rightfully so, because yeah. it is a powerful prayer. He wrote this yesterday. It's a pastor's Monday prayer. And so it's really a, pa- he's a pastor. Mm-hmm. This is uh, not a prayer so much for pastors. He's praying it for himself. And as a pastor, and I think, but you and I both read this and said, yep, I need that. <laughs> yes, we think all people need this. Yeah, and that's, I think, the great point. I don't think this is just a pastoral, a, pa- a prayer for pastors. I think this then becomes a prayer for all people that all of us can be praying. And so I think this is really helpful. Let me read it. Okay. And uh, then I would love for you just to talk about why you liked it, uh, why why you kind of highlighted it. Yeah. Here we go. Uh Ike Miller, he titled this A Pastor's Monday Prayer. He said, God, you are my peace. The approval of others is not my peace. My perfect performance is not my peace. High attendance is not my peace. No one being upset with me is not my peace. Jesus, Mm -hmm. you alone are my peace. And I only find that in your presence. All right, Aubrey, uh, as you read that, kind of what were your thoughts about that? Man, I got to print that out and put it on my bathroom wall. That's what I thought about it. You know, I, it, I, all of us feel this way. So I know this is not unique to pastoring, but this year of pastoring, as we have talked about, has been so hard. And listeners who go to church, take a moment to encourage your pastor today. Send them a tweet. Send them a card. Um, it has been a hard year for pastors because we don't know who's coming back. People have been angry at decisions that we have made. Lots of pastors, we've talked about this on the show, have left. Um, and so I just think to put our peace not on the approval of others, not on our own perfect performance, not on the attendance at our churches, not on no one being angry at us, but to put it back in its proper place in Jesus, on Jesus, through Jesus. We just all need that reminder, don't we? Absolutely. And I, you know, I can struggle with this, the approval of others. Like mm. if I could just get people to be happy with me and the yeah. church, then I will be at peace, right? Yeah. Or, the, you know, if I just, you and I were talking yesterday, some people, pastors who just feel like if I could just perform better, if yeah. I could just, you know, if I just, oh, if I didn't mess that part of the sermon up, or if I just did this, right. better, if I just right. didn't hit that wrong note on my guitar, whatever mm-hmm. else it might be. Uh, you know, so many of us fly by the attendance numbers and that's made COVID really hard. Like, yep. uh, how do we know that we're succeeding and, you know, wanting people to be happy? Uh, that being, if everyone was just on the same page, if we had this unity that we're all talking about, then, uh, I would be at peace. But I love that he says, not only Jesus, you alone are my peace. Cause he could have ended there, right? Just go, Jesus, you alone are my peace. But almost ending there as a reader, I would kind of go, all right, I believe all that, but what do I do? Mm. Like, how do uh, I could pray this? But, but he says, Jesus, you are alone at my peace, comma, and I only find that in your presence. Mm. It's a reminder that Jesus is our peace, and we find that peace when we enter into His presence yeah. on a regular basis. And I and I think that's so important because it's one thing to just declare, and it's an important thing to declare, Jesus is my peace. Great. <laughs> right. That's important. But, that is. But, 
So what am I going to do? How am I going to live? How do I orient my life in order to then experience that peace? And and this prayer kind of covers that at the end. He says, and I only find that in your presence. That's where Jesus's peace resides. That's how we tap into it. That's where we go. And that's what I think makes this so helpful. So Aubrey, how do we enter into his presence? How do we enter into that presence and find that peace? I, I, you know, I'm reading this prayer and I, I think part of it is this posture, right? That we enter into his presence. The approval of, of others is not my peace because we have the approval of God in Jesus. My perfect performance is not my peace because of Jesus's perfect performance in his life and on the cross. High attendance is not my peace because I attend to God's presence. Like yes. that's the invitation. No one being upset with me is not my peace. God is not upset with you. Like I think sometimes we have to, to be in God's presence, we have to reorient our thought life and our heart life. And the things sometimes we think God is mad at us, or I don't have God's approval, or I need to, you know, no, 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 those things aren't true. You have God's approval. God is here to um, just meet with you because God loves you and just wants to be with you. Um, Start there. And then, you know, go back to some of the things that we've talked about spending time with the Lord each and every day, whether you're on a walk and you're just saying, okay, Lord, I am attending to your presence right now. Would you meet me here? Whether it's through Bible study, through journaling, through worship songs. Uh, you know, I think God made us unique, uh, Lee, and so we connect to God in different ways. But find those ways each and every day when you can attend to his presence so that you can experience the peace that passes all understanding. Yeah, and I think that the opposite of this is true. If I ignore going into the presence of Jesus, right, if that is not a priority of mine, if that is something that I just, like I said, ignore you're gonna you're going to realize I don't have peace. Like where, right, totally. you're gonna be like, why is my life seem so upside? Yeah. Where's that peace? Where's that peace that passes all understanding? I think we know that it's as we are connected to the vine, right? As we are connected and in Christ, that that is where we find our peace. I think so often we run and run and run and we uh, ignore uh, being in His presence, and then we kind of throw our hands up, going, "Where's God? Where's this peace that He promises?" Right, going, right. I'm right here waiting. You know, I'm right. Here where for are you? You, you come here. <laughs> yeah, come to me, all mm-hmm. of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you peace. Good. Um, you know, peace that passes all understanding. And so we thought this was helpful, not just for us as pastors, but all of us. Where is it that you find your peace? And this prayer reminds us, God is our peace. Jesus, you alone are my peace. And I find that as I enter into your presence. We'll put this up on our Facebook or Twitter, Instagram at Common Good Talk. And like Aubrey said, uh, cut it out, print it out, I should say. Uh, Aubrey's going to put it up in her bathroom. You can put it up anywhere you want. <laughs> and uh, to just remind yourself uh, of of uh, where it is that we find peace. Well, coming up next, as we're moving out of this pandemic, uh, a story about going back to normal, what that looks like. What are the things we're excited about? We're going to do that next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Hey, friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Really glad to have you with us today. All right, Aubrey, we've talked a lot about, as we come out of this pandemic, getting back to quote-unquote normal. And part of that is going back to the things that we used to do, uh, movies, sporting events, church, all sorts of other things, getting back to the normal things, Mm -hmm. not only the way that we acted, but the things 
that we used to do. And before I want to ask you, what are you excited to get back to and what's holding people back from quote unquote normalcy? Uh, You found this audio clip about going back to the movies from Arnold Schwarzenegger that I found just fascinating. So funny. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Let's listen to that right there. At an AMC theater in Los Angeles last week, Arnold Schwarzenegger spoke on behalf of Hollywood with a twist on his famous movie line from Terminator. We'll be back. At the event titled The Big Screen is Back, the action star and former California governor pitched the idea of a movie theater comeback. Over this last year, people watched movies on a little iPhone (laughs) and the iPad. And they're missing the special effects and visual effects and all the great stuff that you usually see on a big screen. All right. So Arnold is telling people, (laughs) come on back. We want you back. And uh, we want you back at the movies. Aubrey, I do know uh, I've gotten to know you well enough to know the movies is one of the things that you are most excited to get Oh, I'm so excited. I love the movies. And I am, you know, I think I've told you this before, but Kevin and I used to go see a movie every week. Like every Tuesday night, we would go to dinner and a movie as part of our date night. And of course, we haven't done that in over a year and so I, I, I don't know what it is. I love the big screen. I love the popcorn. I love stories. I, I, I love the sound. I love soundtracks. So <laughs> I, I love stories. I'm just excited to get back to the movies. And you're a popcorn person at the movies, right? I like popcorn and I really like licorice at the movies, like Twizzlers at the movies, because we've talked about our favorite candy. Licorice is one of my faves. They don't sell grape licorice, unfortunately, at the movies, but they do sell other licorice. So Okay. So yeah. I would say, uh, first of all, I'm not going – well, maybe I will ask you to do this. If people could have heard off air your Arnold Schwarzenegger impression <laughs> – do not have me do that. Nope. I think they would appreciate that. <laughs> Maybe another time. We'll do that another <laughs> time. Five, we'll save five it. impressions we can do. <laughs> <laughs> Mine are all Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's Just the only one I do. <laughs> all of them. All of them. Anyway. What are you I, excited to get back to? I am most excited to go back to games. Yeah. To go games. back to. And I've been, though. I went to Wrigley with my son, Jackson. We went and saw a game. But. There was something about this past weekend of watching on TV of not only seeing fans, because now places, I mean, uh, the Giants and the Jets in New Jersey, they just, or, you know, they're in New York, but they play in New Jersey. It was just announced that they're going to have full capacity. No this, way. This That's fall. cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, I talked to somebody else like at the, you know, and they were guessing, you know, White Sox, Cubs, all of these, maybe by 4th of July, full capacity. Maybe there'll be vaccinated sections and whatever it uh-huh, is. Uh-huh. Because it's one thing to go back to games, but to watch this weekend at Madison Square Garden or at the PGA Championship and see, like, you could hear the crowd. And there was booing and there was chanting and there was cheering. Right, and you're like, yeah. oh, I didn't realize how much I missed that when I watched games, when I watched golf or when I watched this. Like, it was... We were all happy to watch NBA games from the bubble last year, but it always was like, eh, it's not the same. And now you kind of realize. And now to go to games, I just can't wait for that. It's just been, it was a going to professional sporting events, especially for my son and I, but also our whole family at times, but especially for my son and I was such a big thing that Mm. we did and will continue doing Yeah, uh, that I just can't wait to do that. Now, what about um, Aubrey people who, or like, I don't know that I want to go back. I might be vaccinated. I mm-hmm. might be, uh, yeah, I'm vaccinated and I've followed all the protocols, but I'm not sure I want to go back to the movies, yeah. to a sporting event, even to church. Uh, do we show grace to those people? Do we lecture those people? And 
But maybe what would also be a word to those people about, hey, here's this next step. Here's how you could kind of move back into some normalcy. Yeah, I definitely we show grace. We do not lecture. We show grace to people wherever they are. Because again, as we've talked about a lot, that this year has been a year of trauma. And so not everyone is going to feel comfortable just jumping back into the swing of things when they're still processing their trauma. Mm-hmm. And the, the pandemic has hit some people in a much harder way than it's hit other people. And so I, you know, for those of us who feel ready to go back and we're excited to celebrate and those things that feel exciting for us. Like, let's not feel ashamed of that. Let's have joy in the excitement of that. But let's also be kind to people who aren't quite ready. I mean, I have some friends who just still are like, I don't know. I don't know if I want to go outside again and do normal things. And so I think, you know, if that's you, if you're like, oh, I used to love the movies. I used to love games, but I don't feel safe yet. I don't feel comfortable. You know, I do think, hey, call a therapist if this is getting um, way too difficult for you to deal with. God has given therapists gifts in communication and in healing. Find a Christian therapist that you can go talk to. And then I would say, as you feel like you can, take some baby steps. Uh, Go walk to the park in your neighborhood and just do that for a little bit and then go home and see how that felt, right? Or maybe try a trip to the grocery store see how that felt, and then go home. Don't judge yourself. Don't feel bad if it doesn't go well. Just take those little steps of faith so that you can begin to experience the life that God has for you and all the joy there is to offer. And uh, if you are ready and you want to go to the movies with me, I will meet you there any day of the week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's funny. That's funny. You just, uh, yeah, if anybody wants to take me to a game, I'll I'll probably go with you. Yeah, Brian would go with you. Probably. I mean, there's probably some situations that would be awkward, but hey, at least I'll meet you there. Leave it at will call. I'll go there and I'll, (laughs) I'll meet you. I think it's great. Like, I do think... One of the calls through the last 15, 16 months has been, can we just grow in showing each other grace? Let's just show each other as much grace as possible, but also push each other a little bit. Like if you're in that sort of relationship, you're a friend and your friend is vaccinated, but like I still can't be like, why? Help me understand. Let's talk this through. Not in a condemning, judgmental Mm -hmm. type of way, but just in a way that says, Hey, I, I I worry that you're being kind of controlled by fear here. Let's have that conversation. Doesn't mean you have to go to the movies with me tomorrow, right, but I'd right. love to help you process it, and then maybe point you to a counselor that will help you uh, process. I do think it's important for us to do that. Like summer's a great time outside, backyard barbecues. Yes. Uh, this and that. Don't you also feel like as we kind of close this up? I do wonder if like reservations at restaurants are going to be harder to get and movie tickets are going to be harder to get at some point here when most people feel comfortable. I think there's just going to be this rush. So, like, <laughs> That's probably true. And then we're all going to be frustrated and we're going to be like, oh, full, forget it. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> what the movie sold out? What are you talking about? <laughs> do you have a movie that you've targeted? Like, Oh, I have a list of movies. I want to see In the Heights. I want to see Black Widow. I want to see the new Fast and Furious, Jungle Cruise, Dune, the new 007 space jam cruella like you name i am like i got a list i'm going to the movies i'm coming back for you movie theater that list was ridiculous the fact (laughs) you could do that off the top of your head did i say space jam because the new space jam is on my list too wow (laughs) 
That was impressive. I'm that telling was impressive. you, I have been waiting for this. I'm so ready. Kevin will be a single dad here for most of the summer, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna go move it. Maybe I'll just get a job at the movie theater. Yes, that would be awesome. <laughs> eat popcorn, serve popcorn. Watch a movie, help someone else watch a movie. I have thought about it when I get older into retirement age, spending a summer like as a ballpark usher. Just that, to be that'd there. That'd be so cool. I like it. I gotta be honest. I'd be good at being a ballpark usher. You would I'd be, be great. good at it. You'd I'd be, be good at it. fantastic at that. I agree. All right. Coming up, we're going to end the show this way. It's Memorial Day coming up. And so we want to share a sweet story of the most decorated soldier in history. Uh, and what can we learn from him? We're going to end the show that way next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Friends, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. Thanks for spending so much time with us here on a Tuesday mm-hmm. afternoon. It's been a great Tuesday with you. It's Memorial Day weekend coming up. And for a lot of us, that means swimming, picnics, just some days off. Uh, but we want to remind ourselves of what is actually being celebrated on Memorial Day. That's Memorial right. Day is the day to remember uh, those who have given their lives in service to our nation, those yeah. who... Uh, in wars and conflicts for the freedom of the United States of America. Memorial Day remembers those who have given their lives, whereas Veterans Day remembers all of those who have served. Like that's the distinction. It's helpful to help your kids understand mm-hmm. the distinction of Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Uh, but with that in mind, and this isn't somebody who, who passed away. This was, uh, this is more of a veteran story, but man, of course it comes from the good news network. And it is such an inspirational story that just happened last week. 94 year old gets medal of honor 70 years after heroism. I want you to tell us the story. Tell us the story of this soldier, and then we'll kind of reflect on it as we close yeah, out the show. Yeah, so his name is Ralph Puckett Jr., 94 years old. Like you said, he's the oldest. Uh, I don't know if he's the oldest living soldier, but he's certainly the oldest, most decorated soldier. And on Friday, he received the Medal of Honor at the White House. And this is my favorite part of the story. When they they got a hold of him to say, we want to give you the Medal of Honor, he said, well, what's all the fuss? Can't they just mail it to me? Ah, <laughs> that's great. And uh, Joe Biden said that after this man's lifetime of service to the nation, he would have actually walked all the way to his house to give it to him just to honor this man's acts of gallantry and intrepidity. He went above and beyond the call of duty while serving as the commander of the 8th U.S. Army Ranger Company. And I I don't know. I think this is a powerful story. Like this man is 94 years old. 70 years later, he wins the Medal of Honor. Um, Part of the story is that he uh, he and his army uh, infantry were fighting. They were um, in a position to destroy the enemy and seize what's called Hill 205. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. When they reached the top of the hill, they found it abandoned, but uh, Puckett knew that the fight wasn't over. During the night, the enemy launched a counterattack. It lasted for four hours, over four hours, actually. Over the course of the counterattack, the Rangers were inspired and motivated by uh, Puckett's leadership and courage to keep going. And although they were outnumbered almost 10 to 1, um, they were able to repulse the enemy. And, um, but this is what the article says. During the first wave, 
First Lieutenant Puckett was wounded by grenade fragments, but refused evacuation and continually directed artillery support. Over the course of the next several hours, four more waves of assault came, and he repeatedly abandoned positions of relative safety to make his way from foxhole to foxhole to check the company's perimeter and Mm. to distribute ammunition amongst the Rangers. He showed extraordinary selflessness beyond and above the call of duty. Um, it says that when the enemy launched a sixth attack, two mortar rounds landed in his foxhole, inflicting grievous wounds in both his feet, in his backside, in his left arm and his shoulder. Knowing his men were about to die, he would not leave them. And ultimately, the Rangers succeeded in retrieving First Lieutenant Puckett. They moved to the bottom of the hill and um, he called for devastating artillery fire. Sorry, artillery fire on the top of the enemy controlled Hill. Anyway, this man is a hero, hero of military yes. service, is the point. And um, sometimes Korea is known as the Forgotten War. That's something Biden said. But they wanted to remember this man's bravery over the weekend. And we wanted to remember it in light of Such Memorial Day. Yeah. Yeah. So as you said, that was the Korean War. But he also went on to serve in the Vietnam War, where he earned, ready for this, a second Distinguished Service Cross, two Silver Stars and two Bronze Stars, adding to his five Purple Hearts for injuries suffered in combat. Unbelievable. Wow. Been married for 68 years mm. uh, to his wife, and they started dating um, uh, right as a couple met while the Brave Army Ranger was recovering from his wounds. And oh, so I he's recovering. That. Here's the best part, Aubrey. Well, not the best part. The, the, the heroism is the best part. But I don't know if you saw any of the video from last week of his ceremony with Biden. He's 94 years old, right? And he's in right. like his military uniform. He's standing next to President Biden and somebody else was up there. He's 94 years old. So like a lot of 94-year-olds, if you even reach that age, you can't stand there for a while, right? Right, right. He's had injuries over his life, as you have said. Somebody, it could have been his wife, it could have been a daughter, could have been a caretaker, could have just been a good Samaritan who was there. Somebody placed his walker in front of him while somebody else was talking just so he could stabilize himself. Uh-huh. You want to know what he, you want to know what he did? What did he do? He pushed it aside. Come on. Yes. That, that's everyone watching right that was like, that's a man's man right there. <laughs> Biden, I would encourage you to Google this because Biden kind of sees all, all of that happening out of the corner of his eye. And Biden just gives like this little smile, like going, that guy. I <laughs> like, love it. That is so, so cool. Hey, so, can I quickly tell a story about yes. how my grandparents met? Because it's connected to this. I and then, we'll, then we'll we'll gather some lessons here. But my grandpa actually served in World War II uh, directly under General Patton. Oh, no. And, yes. And so he had a lot of stories. Now, he he did not die in the service. He died uh, maybe 10, 15 years ago. But anyway, so he um, he has great stories, uh, stories that he would not share with me. You can probably imagine. I'm but sure. he was home from the war at some point and he walked into a bank. My grandmother was a bank teller and he had on his uniform and she asked him, what you know, where where did you serve in the military? And he said something like, I work on tanks or I served in tanks. And she said, oh, tanks, you're welcome. And they fell in love. He asked her out. That was the end of their story. Yes. (laughs) Isn't that fantastic? (laughs) I have letters, actually, that he wrote to her while he was serving. And they're just beautiful about how much he missed her and loved her and couldn't wait to get back and marry her. And it was very, very sweet. Yeah. That is so funny. And I think we wanted to highlight. That's a great story. I think we wanted to highlight this story. A. Because again, it puts a smile on your face, like, oh my gosh, like that, that, but also 
you and I are 43, 44. Mm -hmm. There's people listening of all ages Mm -hmm. right now. Please don't ever forget that generation and what they did and what they've done. And sometimes we can always move on and we can we can use this term hero very uh, flippantly. And we could also put the spotlight on the wrong types of things, right? Like, Mm. you know, the 25 year old who did this. Sometimes our culture can too much look ahead. Uh, and when actually we, we would be well served to look back sometimes. Yeah, that's good. And, uh, and look back. So I'm, I appreciate you finding this story and bring it up. It was from last week. It would be, uh, let me encourage you go Google tonight, uh, and watch the ceremony for him last week in the White House. It was great. Well, we're oh, really glad. Wait. Yeah. We're really glad that you joined us today. Lots of good stuff. If you missed any of it. Go get our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Aubrey and I will be with you again tomorrow from 4 until 6. Until then, we hope that you have a great night. For Aubrey Sampson, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.